So this morning, we're going to, um, as Pastor Josh said, we're going to take a moment and, and talk about an event that we gather for every year. And um, we oftentimes uh, hand out palms to those, and as you're heading out the service, you'll, you'll have those available to you as well, uh, to commemorate a very specific and very significant event that took place in the ministry of Jesus. It's what we have come to know as Palm Sunday. It's kind of the kickoff to Holy Week, leading to um, Good Friday, where Christ was crucified, and then obviously next Sunday, Easter Sunday, where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, right, where he, he defeated death, hell, in the grave and for lives forever more. And so what a powerful season in which we're in this morning. It, 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 is, it is pregnant with opportunity to point people to a God who loves them, to a Christ who came for them, right, into a salvation that's available to them in, in Christ Jesus. And so I want to welcome you this morning. I want to welcome those who have tuned in online and uh, want to uh, uh, thank you for worshiping with us this morning. Um, so the last number of weeks, we've been, we've been trekking through Paul's letter to the church at Thessalonica, and we have come to that point in the series where we're just into uh, chapter 4, and it's at that moment where Paul is about to introduce to us the rapture of the church, and so um, as the Lord would have it, it's interesting that, that where we are in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, and where we are uh, seasonally as we uh, come to Palm Sunday, uh, it, 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 it's a great timing for us to kind of take a pause and set some, some context because there is tremendous eschatological significance to Palm Sunday. Eschatol eschatological just simply means end time experience. There's, a, there's something very significant that speaks to the end times about Palm Sunday that's kind of tied into right where we are in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And I, I just want to tell you, I'm not smart enough to have pulled that off, the timing. It just so happens to really work well together uh, time-wise. And so um, we're going uh, to kind of continue on uh, talking about, uh, about Palm Sunday and just seeing the significance um, of that. Uh, a few weeks back, maybe you remember, we talked about the, the three tenses of salvation, the past, the present, and the future tense of our salvation, each equally powerful, e equally significant, right? Uh, that moment where we came to faith in Jesus Christ, we, we recognize that, that we're a sinner in need of a savior, that there is nothing we can do in and of ourselves that would reconcile us back to God. And so we ask Christ to forgive us of our sins, our sins as the only means of our forgiveness. We placed our trust in what Christ did for us on the cross, right? And it was at that moment that we we were justified by God. We were saved at that point. Our disposition before God changed. We, we moved from death to life, right? From hopelessness to hope, all because of what Christ has done for us. We've been justified. It's that historical moment in my life where I can look back and realize that there was a time in which I've been justified in Christ, but there's also a present reality to my salvation as well, right? In the same way, I am, I am still, in, in a very real way, I am being saved, right? I am being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Positionally, I am complete in him. But if you're around me any length of time, you'll come to realize I've got some work to do, right? There's some things in my life that don't necessarily look like Jesus and act like Jesus. 
I know that might shatter your perception of, of me, and, um, but the reality is I'm a work in progress just like everybody else, and, and God the Holy Spirit is working on me, right? And, and he's helping me to, to be conformed more and more into the image of Christ. And, and as, I'm, as I'm dying to myself and saying no to my flesh, um, the Holy Spirit is, is conforming me into the image of Christ. And, and it's that, that work of sanctification so that my, my position in Christ and my behaviors in Christ are beginning to walk parallel with one another, right? And it's going to take the rest of my life to get there, right? And so I've been saved. I am being saved. And how many know there's going to be a day where we're going to receive our final salvation, right? That glorification moment, right? Where we step out of time and into eternity, right? Where the, the presence of sin is gone, right? The penalty of, of, of sin has been dealt with in my justification, right? And the power of sin has been broken in my sanctification, but the presence of sin is going to be gone when I cross on over to the other side and I receive my final reward. And so we looked at the, the past, the present, the present, and the future tenses of our salvation. Likewise, kind of like in that same vein, if you will, Palm Sunday has some past some present and some future elements to it as well that, that I pray that uh, God will allow me to communicate it clear enough to you and that the Holy Spirit would encourage your hearts this morning to know that the same God who promised, fulfilled, and promises is going to deliver on what he says. And so as, we, as, as uh, Rich had shared uh, in our scripture reading this morning, uh, we're going to look at a passage that was presented to us from the prophet Zechariah in the Old Testament. Uh, it is he who first introduces to us the, the promise of Palm Sunday as he prophetically points to the event that took place when Jesus entered into the city of Jerusalem. Right? I, and I just reminded myself, I just need to slow down a little bit. And uh, I, I'm just really thankful we are beginning, if you don't know already, we are beginning to translate our services into Spanish. Uh, it's been exciting to see the Lord bringing so many of our Hispanic brothers and sisters in Christ. And so if you're in the service and you're seeing somebody wearing a little earpiece and you're wondering if they're listening to the ball game, they're not listening to the ball game. Uh, we're, just, we're just interpreting that into Spanish so we continue to uh, enjoy the, 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 the richness and the diversity of the body of Christ. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, we're excited about that. And so Zechariah uh, is, is, prophesies about this event that, that Pastor Josh had mentioned about when Christ came into the city streets of Jerusalem that glorious day. The year was 530 AD when Zechariah prophesied this. And he's prophesying about the coming king of Zion. Of Zion. He is the long-awaited Messiah, the one that the hope of Israel, the one that Israel was looking to, to bring deliverance and freedom. All throughout the Old Testament, we see the Old Testament prophets pointing to the one who is going to come. Woven all throughout the Old Testament, beginning in Genesis, right on to Malachi, we see the finger of God pointing to the Messiah, the hope of God's people, the, the hope of Israel, the Messiah who will come and redeem man back to God, who will reverse what took place in the garden, right? The curse that took place in the garden. 
And so we see all throughout the Old Testament, we see this pointing to a Messiah that was going to come over 400 times in the Old Testament. Do we see this, these messianic prophecies pointing to the coming of Jesus? I think that's very significant because sometimes people could look at their Bible and just kind of think it's a good old book that somebody wrote long time ago. But the reality of it is in your Bible, you are holding a compilation of 66 separate works, separate books, if you will, that were comprised over 40 different authors over a course of 1,500 years, right? Coming from people who were from all different walks of life. And there's a, a, there's a unified message from Genesis to Revelation that is woven all throughout. I just want to highlight the fact that the, the word of God is trustworthy. It has been preserved for us. It is the word of God, unchanging, and it is um, it speaks to us today. That's why Isaiah says in his, in his writing, he says, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God, it stands forever. And so that book that you hold in your hand or in your iPad or whatever you, you look at your Bible through, just know the, the powerful preservation, the miraculous preservation that God had, had, had put in motion so that we can see God through the lens of the pages of the scripture. Well, Zechariah was one of those prophets that was pointing to the Christ that was to come. And so let's take a look again at, at that passage that Rich uh, read to us this morning. Let's look at verse 9 of chapter 9 and begin this journey at what Zechariah is getting at here. He says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fall of a donkey. Zechariah is writing about an event that we know will take place in Jerusalem. It will be a sign that Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah, has come. And he won't be arriving as a warrior on a horse this time. But instead he will come, this righteous king will come riding on a donkey. He will enter into the streets of Jerusalem, not as a military leader, but as a humble servant from God. And this is exactly what we see take place in Jerusalem 530 years later. We see that first, we, again, we see Isaiah prophesies about this 530 years earlier. And then as we look at the Gospels and we see the ministry of Jesus, we see the fulfillment of that prophecy as Jesus enters into Jerusalem. Now, all four of the Gospels will record this event for us. But for this morning, we're going to kind of take a look at that through the lens of Matthew's Gospel. And we're going to see Palm Sunday as a fulfillment of what, what, what Zechariah prophesied prophesies about in this first portion of Zechariah chapter 9. So let's take a look at Matthew chapter 21 and let's get a grasp on what's happening at, on Palm Sunday. It says, now when they drew near to Jerusalem, they came to Bethpage to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. I, just, I mentioned earlier on, that just sounds like Jesus just told them to go rip off somebody's donkey. 
right? I mean, it's just like if you, I mean, like what, like if, if, if it was tied to something, that means somebody else owned it, right? And so it wasn't like a wild donkey. It was somebody else's donkey. And, and it just sounds like Jesus just gave him the permission to, to rip it off. Uh, but that's not what happened. There was a custom at the time called Angaria. And it was understood amongst the people that, that any time a religious leader wanted to commandeer your property for religious purposes, it was certainly appropriate. So Jesus just didn't give the green light on ripping off somebody's uh, ride that day. Um, but instead, there was a custom of Angaria called Angaria that, that certainly was appropriate. That's why Jesus says to him in verse 3, And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them. And then he will send them at once. This took place, Jesus said, to fulfill, uh, Matthew writes, to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Zechariah, saying to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming, humble and mounted on a donkey. Verse 6 The disciples went and they did as Jesus had directed them. And they brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Now most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from palms and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed after him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered into Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd says, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. What an incredible scene that must have been in, uh, in Jerusalem that day. Uh, there was, a, there was a, 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 um, a historian who lived at the time of Jesus, a man by the name of, of um, um, uh, lost my mind there right there for a second, Josephus, thank you very much. Josephus, and Josephus, who was not a believer, never that we know of came to faith, writes about that event. And, and see, here's what was going on in Jerusalem. The Jews from all around the world were coming to gather to celebrate the feast of Passover and, and the multiple feasts that were going on. And so Josephus, in writing about this event, says that there was no less than two million people in the streets of Jerusalem that day. So could you imagine how, how, how packed and exciting it must have been? And as Jesus is entering into Jerusalem, the crowds are, are screaming out, Hosanna in the highest. This is very significant. Because the people had come to learn about Jesus. They had heard the teachings of Jesus. They had seen the miracles that Jesus had performed. In fact, anytime Jesus showed up, innumerable crowds would, would show up. But this was a, a different season. This, everybody was in town. This is also a time in the, the lives of the Jews where they were under tremendous oppression from Rome. They were overtaxed. Anybody feeling overtaxed these days? <laughs> they were feeling overtaxed. They were feeling mistreated. They were, they were oppressed. And they longed for a king who would fight for them. One of their own who would stand up and say, no longer are we going to be under the oppression of Rome. And as Jesus entered the streets and two million people are gathering that day, you could sense the excitement in the air as they cried out, Hosanna in the highest. 
Now there's a lot going on in this scene that communicates the, the expectations of the people. You see, the Jews were gathering again to celebrate the Passover event, that moment where they would sacrifice a lamb. Little did they know, the lamb of God, the one that all the other sacrificial lambs throughout the Old Testament pointed to was in their midst. The lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, this year was going to be different. That Passover that Jesus celebrated with his disciples was unlike any other Passover. He was the fulfillment. He breaks from custom and points out that I am the bread, I am the wine, I am the the blood, is the new covenant in my blood. And so we see Christ as the fulfillment. And so the Jews at the time, under the oppression and and, and, and that they were dealing with with the Romans, they were looking for a king that would rise up and put an end See the oppression. Sadly, the Jews weren't looking for a Messiah that would deliver them from sin. They were looking for a ruler, a king, who would deliver them from Roman oppression. How short-sighted they were. That's why they, they threw their cloaks on the ground. As Jesus entered into the city, the the throwing of their cloaks on the ground was a symbolic way of saying, we'll lay down our lives for you, Jesus. Interestingly, the only one that was willing to lay down their life that day was Christ. As they waved the palm branches, it 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 was a sign of victory. That's what would happen when a king would come back from war victorious. They would wave these palm branches. And so you had had a picture, millions of people, right, crying out, Hosanna in the highest. They're they're symbolically saying, "We'll, we'll lay down our lives for you. Jesus, now is the time for you to rise up. The urgency of Hosanna, it was like this cry of save now. Come to our rescue now. Deliver us now. And as Pastor Josh pointed out, in the midst of their zealousness for this king, we see that they were so misguided. Because they missed as Luke records in his gospel, this moment where Jesus enters into the city, he says in Luke chapter 19 and verse 41, and when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. Saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. What was he saying there? Do you know a study of the Old Testament, if a student of the law, they would, if they would have read through the scriptures accurately, they would have discovered that the Old Testament pointed with precision accuracy the specific day in which their Messiah would enter into Jerusalem, and that was the day. But they were so distracted looking for a temporary king to meet their temporary need that they missed that God showed up the deliverer of sin. And Jesus points out that as a result of that, judgment was going to come. Why? Because they missed their day of visitation. They paid dearly for it. History demonstrates as a result of that that the Jews paid dearly 
from missing that moment. Getting back to Zechariah, we, we look in verse 9, like again, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Right? Sing aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. This is the day. He is righteous. He's, he has salvation with him. He's humble. He's mounted on a donkey. And we see, we see in the, the, the past, uh, the, in, in the past, Zechariah prophesies about this event that is going to come. So we see the past presentation of Palm Sunday. And then we see as Jesus enters into Jerusalem, we see the present reality. We see the fulfillment of this very event as Jesus enters into Jerusalem on the specific day that the Messiah was supposed to enter onto the scene. So verse 9, we see fulfilled in Christ. But verse 10, not so much. Look at verse 10. And I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow should be cut off. And he, Jesus, he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. What Zechariah is prophesying about is more than just this one-time occurrence that we saw taking place in Jerusalem that day. Verse 9 was fulfilled in Jerusalem, but verse 10 speaks of a future event that is still yet to come. The picture that, that Zechariah points to is of a time where God will bring an end to war, where Jesus will speak peace over the nations, and Jesus will rule over the nations from sea to shining sea, from sea to the river's ends of the earth. Now, the last I checked, that's just not happened yet. Wars have not yet ceased. He is not yet ruling over the earth. You see, the frustration that the disciples had and the people had was they thought Jesus was going to set up his kingdom right there and right then. I mean, it would have been a golden opportunity. I mean, at that point, again, you've got two million people willing to lay down their lives for them. If there was ever a time for them to take over Rome, that would have been the time. But that wasn't what God had in mind. That was far too small, far too limited in the purposes of God. But that's why they cried out, save now. But the, full, the fullness of Palm Sunday is still yet to come. You see, we find ourselves right in the middle of verse nine and verse 10. Right in the middle of what took place in Jerusalem that day, in this future event that Zechariah prophesies about. Zechariah prophesied that Christ would come riding on a donkey. A donkey was a symbol of peace. It was a symbol of, of humility. It is, a it is a lowly creature that also symbolized the, the gentleness and the meekness with which Christ would come to his people. But there's another Palm Sunday that is yet to be Realize, and it is that Palm Sunday that verse 10 of Zechariah's prophecy points us to. John records this for us in the book of Revelation. It is an event that is yet to come. Now I want to just take a, a moment and give you a brief survey of the book 
of Revelation. So we're gonna just cover the book of Revelation in about five minutes, how's that sound? We can pull the light off, we think we can do that. Um, perhaps will be the quickest overview that you've ever heard, but I think what, what, I, what I want to do is just kind of present this for you because it presents the context for what we're gonna see about this Palm Sunday, but it also presents the context for where we're gonna be when we jump back into 1 Thessalonians chapter four. And so John is in exile, right, for being a follower of Christ. He's on the island of Patmos, and he has a vision from the Lord. And he's called on by Jesus to write these things that he is about to see. And so what we have in the book of Revelation is the, uh, is the it, it's ultimately, it's a, it's a revelation of Jesus written by John while he's on the island of Patmos, and Jesus says this to John in verse uh, nine, 19 of chapter one. He says, write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. We are given clear insight right from the beginning that the book of Revelation is intended to be read chronologically. Nowhere else do we see in the scripture this, this instruction on how to read the book, but we see clearly that Jesus is telling him that you ought to write down what you have seen, right? Or what, what, that's, that speaks to the past. He talks about write down things that are, that's the present. And then he says, and then write down what will be, speaking of the future. That's why it's really important to, to read the book of Revelation in proper context. Because too many times we jump into Revelation, let's, let's, just, let's just jump right over to chapter 13. Let's just jump on to chapter 18. And we look at that and go, what in the world is going on here? This is really confusing. We weren't supposed to be reading it like that. Supposed to, we're supposed to read it chronologically. And when we, when we, when we engage in it chronologically, it, it's, we're able to, to maintain the context in which it's given to us, which is why I'm always hammering the point of, of making sure we're reading the scripture in the context in which it's given to us. And so Jesus said, these things you've seen, that's the past, the things that are, that's the present, and the things that are yet to come, that's the future. And so what do we have? What, is, what do we have in the book of Revelation? What are these, how do these 22 chapters break down? Chapters one through three is what we know as the church age. We are currently in the church age. It is in the opening part where the church is obviously on the earth. Jesus is, um, is, is correcting the church, giving instruction to the church. In chapter one, chapter uh, two, and chapter three, it's there that we see what he says to the church at Ephesus and Laodicea and Smyrna and all of the other ones, right? And so we see the church age in chapters one through three. As we come to chapters four and five, we see conspicuously absent from the writing here is the church. Now the church is not on the earth, but now the church is at the throne. Something happened, right? The church church is no longer on the earth. In fact, the church is not mentioned again until all the way in chapter 20. And so we see the church is removed off of the earth in chapters four and five. Why? Because chapter six is where we see the tribulation, the wrath of God coming upon the earth. Chapter six through all the way to chapter 18, that whole section of revelation has to do with the tribulation. And it's at that moment that the church is not un on the earth. Why? Because we are not under, going to be under the wrath of God. You know why? Because Jesus took the wrath of God upon himself in our place when we put our trust in him on the cross. 
And so what we, we don't see the church, the ecclesia, anywhere in chapter 6 through 18. You say, well, what about the 144,000? Those are the 12,000 from the 12 tribes of Israel that come to faith that will be martyred for their faith in Christ, right? But they're not considered the church. They're just the saints of God on the earth for that season, the, the 144,000. And then as we come to Chapter 19, we're introduced to the, the second coming of Christ, right? Now we see the church that was raptured off the earth will come back with Christ in the second coming. In chapter 20, we see the, the millennial reign of Christ. We see the, the judgments of Christ. We see the lake of fire where Satan and, 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 and the Antichrist and the false prophet and all the fallen angels and everyone who's rejected Christ will be kicked into the lake of fire for all of eternity. And then after that, we see in chapter 21, the new heaven and the new earth. And we see the new Jerusalem. We see everything as God designed for it to be, right? The presence of sin is gone. And as we get into chapter 22, we are introduced to this new concept called forever, for we will forever be in the presence of the Lord. This is a great reminder that, that God holds the future and all of its events in his hands. There's nothing that takes place that God's sovereign hand isn't, over, isn't in control of. He's never caught by surprise. It is all laid out because it is his world. So where does this, why did I give you all that in, in, in the outline of the book of Revelation? Well, where, where does this Palm Sunday that Zechariah is talking about, where does that take place? When is that going to happen? Right where chapter six and seven meet. The wrath of God is about to be poured out, but before that happens, chapter seven opens with the sealing of the 144,000, and it's at that moment that we are introduced to a snapshot, a scene that takes place in heaven, right between chapter six and seven. Look at uh, chapter seven, look at uh, verse nine of chapter seven. John writes this, he says, after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all the tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Who are they? It's people, right? It's the church clothed in, look, white robes, right? That's always significant of the saints of God, right? We are, we are now clothed in his righteousness, right? And so we see a multitude of people that you can't even number from every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every people, every language. They're standing before the throne and before the lamb and they're wearing white robes and look what they have. They have palm branches in their hands and they're crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne. Doesn't that sound like what happened back in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago when, they entered, when Jesus entered the streets? They were saying, Jesus, save now. But they didn't understand. They didn't realize who he was. But now these saints on Palm Sunday part two, we're gonna be in the presence of Jesus and it's there that we're gonna recognize salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Palm Sunday, we're waving those palms, victorious. Not needing to lay our lives down because he's laid down his life for us. Who else is there? And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. That's, a, that's the song that we sang this morning, right? Right now, 
as we're worshiping together and right now we're disconnected from, the, from, from them in, 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 in physical presence, but there'll be a day where we join together. But we see present before the throne, the angels are standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And what's happening, look at that. They're falling on their faces before the throne and worshiping God saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever and ever. Could you imagine the sea of worship that's taking place before the throne of God as the palm branches are being waved saying victorious salvation belongs to our God. It's Palm Sunday that is yet to come. You see, Palm Sunday began in the streets of Jerusalem in verse 9, but it will continue before the throne in verse 10 during the tribulation, and then it reaches its fullness during the millennium. Watch what happens. Look at verse, chapter 19 and verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, not a donkey this time, a white horse, a symbol of authority, a symbol of strength and power. And behold, a white horse, and the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which it is called is the Word of God. You remember John's introduction in the Gospel of John? He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Then he says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's that Word, it's that Jesus who's coming back. And he says, in the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure. This is the church. The church that was raptured out is now coming back with Christ. White and pure, we're following him on white horses. Again, symbol of authority and strength. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You see, it's during that millennial period where Christ is going to rule on the earth, and we are going to rule and reign with Christ on the earth for a thousand years. This is what is ahead. God is in control. Don't get discouraged or scared or worried about all the things that we got going on in the world that we hear about all the things. This has all got to happen. It's setting the stage for Christ to come for his church. You have nothing to worry about unless you have not made him Lord of your life. He will either be your savior or he will be your judge. And it's at that point when we write in the same way that they, they cried out in Jerusalem, Hosanna in the highest. They wanted deliverance from their temporary oppression. What God was offering, what God came, the reason Jesus came was deliverance from sin so that man could be justified by God, 
and spend all of eternity with him. Notice Jesus' response to the Jews who weren't ready for his coming was that judgment was going to come upon them because they weren't ready for Christ's coming. And for the one who, who listens, maybe you're in the room or you're online, you're watching on TV, and, and you just think, oh, I've got plenty of time. Someday, let me just do my thing, and then one day I'll get serious about God. The scripture says today is the day of salvation. We don't know when our day is going to be, when we're gonna have to stand before God. Today is the day of salvation. The scripture has much to say about the events that will lead to the second coming of Christ. It says no man knows the day or the hour. And I would certainly not in any way try to suggest a specific time in which Christ is going to come, but the scripture does give us some signs that will point to his coming. That as we start to see those signs, it'll point to when Christ is going to come, not for his church, but with his church. Everything in the New Testament that points to the coming of Christ is pointing to the second coming of Christ. What's really exciting about that is because as we look around the world, and we see the, the apostasy of the church. We see people turning from God. We start seeing the world turning against the church. We start seeing wars and rumors of wars and famines and pestilences and, and tornadoes. And I mean, you just start looking at what's going on in the world around us. Listen, there's some seriously eschatological events going on in the world around us. I'm not saying it means it's gonna happen right now. I'm just saying a lot of the signs that are pointing to his coming seem to be happening right around us, especially when you start watching with everything that's going on with Israel. But what's exciting about that is it, it, as close as it seems that we are to the second coming, we are seven years closer to the rapture of the church. You see, there's signs that point to the second coming of Christ, but there is no sign needed. There's nothing that needs to take place for the rapture. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, the church can be raptured. And at that moment in time, as the church is off the earth, the tribulation will begin. That's great news for those who await his coming. We could be in the scene of heaven crying Hosanna in the highest. Salvation belongs to our God. Or be that one in the streets that is looking for a temporary fix, not wanting to embrace him as God, just a good teacher, a good king that can help make life a little easier is what they were looking for. In this Palm Sunday, I pray that you would consider those things, that you take a step back and reconsider what's most important and pray we would, that we would prioritize our lives and not live for the temporary but live for the eternal. Take care of the temporary, right? Work, pay your bills, Take care of the needy. Do all the things that as Christians we are called and given an opportunity to do, but all the while looking for that day. For in a moment and in a twinkling of an eye, he can come at any moment. At the end of the service, when our elders come up to close out the service, they're going to give you an opportunity. If, if you've never asked Christ to come into your life and, and be your Lord and your Savior, maybe you've, you've not made things right with God. You're not sure where you stand. I'm thinking today's the day of salvation. 
I'm thinking today's a really good time to do that, right? And, and so I encourage you, if that's you, at the end of service, come on up. We want to pray with you and, 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 and get you started on, on either a new journey or recommitting your life to Christ today because he is God and he is in control of all things. And he came for you. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for as sure as you fulfilled your entrance into the streets of Jerusalem is as sure as you will fulfill your coming for your bride. Lord, may we be ready. May we be busy. May we occupy until that time. Bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to everyone around us. Living a life that's pleasing to you. We thank you for this season of Holy Week. I pray that every one of us would look for opportunities to point others to Jesus. Not to Easter bunnies or spring breaks or the cost of these eggs, but point them to Jesus in this season. Would you give us a heart that is willing and an opportunity to speak Jesus to the world around us? In Christ's name we pray. Amen.